Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we take a whimsical journey through the pages of The Geography of Bliss by renowned author and award-winning journalist Eric Wiener. A captivating exploration that blends travel, psychology, science, and humor, this enticing book investigates one of life's most enduring and elusive goals, happiness. Eric Wiener, a veteran foreign correspondent for National Public Radio, voyages across the globe to uncover the secrets of the world's happiest places. From the blissful Bhutan and enchanting Iceland to prosperous Qatar and buoyant Switzerland, Wiener unveils a kaleidoscope of cultural variances in the pursuit of joy. More than just a travelogue, the geography of bliss delves into diverse philosophies, histories, and social norms to dissect how different cultures interpret and attain happiness. Weiner's insightful perceptions, fortified by his angel award-winning journalistic prowess, underscore the nuances that define the essence of bliss around the world. Whether you're an optimist, a pessimist, a bliss seeker, a happiness researcher, or someone who is simply intrigued by the cultural dimensions of joy, The Geography of Bliss is a must-read. It will inspire you to question your personal definition of happiness, understand its global manifestations, and perhaps help you navigate your own path to bliss. Tune in as we delve into the heart and soul of this enlightening masterpiece. On 20-Minute Books, it's time for a taste of bliss. The Geography of Bliss, One Grump's Search for the Happiest Places in the World. Introduction. Embark on a global quest for joy. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our Constitution guaranteed the pursuit of happiness, just like the founding fathers of the United States enshrined in their Declaration of Independence? Yet, the irony is that happiness appears to be found more abundantly elsewhere, far beyond the borders of America. So how can a nation uplift its people's spirits? Are free education and healthcare the secret ingredients to a blissful society, or perhaps an entirely tax-free life is the path to ultimate joy? We'll delve into such thought-provoking strategies as we wander through the enlightening maze of global happiness. All the while, we'll keep a keen eye on the factors that erode joy and seem to cast a long shadow on the lives of those finding themselves at the bottom of the happiness spectrum. As we voyage together, we'll reveal the country that measures gross national happiness. We'll uncover why a vibrant artistic and cultural backdrop can outshine even immense wealth. And we'll pinpoint an Eastern European country that, unfortunately, finds itself at the very bottom of the happiness ladder. Buckle up, it's going to be an insightful journey. Part 1. Meet the Dutch. Conducting happiness research from one of the globe's joyful corners. The notion of scientifically quantifying happiness might raise a few eyebrows. Can we truly evaluate joy through an empirical lens, or is it an evasive entity, more of a personal, subjective experience? You'll find the answers in the heart of the Netherlands. It's here where you'll discover scholars gathering annually to exchange findings and fine-tune methodologies at prominent happiness conferences. Lately, the Netherlands has blossomed into a thriving hub for the study of happiness, 
with Dutch professor Ruth Wienhoven emerging as a beacon in this field. His influential Journal of Happiness Studies commands attention and respect. But it's his World Database of Happiness, a treasure trove of data, amalgamating findings from myriad research initiatives worldwide, that has become an indispensable instrument for countless scholars, including our author. This database offers intriguing insights. It reveals that married individuals often report higher happiness levels than their single counterparts. Republicans generally outshine Democrats in the happiness department, and wealth appears to correlate with greater joy. Meanwhile, men and women seem to achieve comparable happiness levels. Yet, some findings present a paradox. Some of the world's happiest nations have alarmingly high suicide rates, and despite religious individuals often reporting higher levels of happiness, secular nations consistently top the happiness charts. The Netherlands itself often appears high on these lists. And it's no coincidence that this country also houses the database. The question then arises, why? What makes the Dutch so content? Their status as a prosperous, democratic nation, boasting a robust welfare system, could be a contributing factor. The Dutch are also renowned for their tolerant attitudes towards issues such as prostitution, drugs, and immigration. But how do we quantify happiness in the first place? Some techniques might border on the absurd, yet asking individuals to rate their own happiness often yields surprisingly reliable results. So, even though counting smiles might not offer consistent measurements, the person's self-evaluated sense of happiness often strikes a chord of truth. Part 2. The Swiss Secret to Bliss. Precision, shunning class disparity, and basking in nature's glory. Take a trip to Switzerland, and you'll notice it frequently graces the higher rungs of the happiness ladder. On the surface, Switzerland may appear uneventful, its reputation for Swiss precision putting even the notoriously meticulous Germans to shame. However, this rigorous precision serves as a happiness safeguard. Switzerland functions like a well-oiled machine, with punctual trains, impeccable roads, and spotless public spaces. Such meticulousness rarely triggers joyous celebration, but it effectively eradicates many sources of discontent. The Swiss, blessed with their country's prosperity, have a unique approach to avoiding social discord. Money talk is a cultural taboo. Understanding that discussions of wealth sow seeds of envy, a major happiness hindrance, they sidestep materialistic grandeur, an attitude starkly contrasting with the American show-what-you've-got ideology. This nation's approach to happiness even extends to the end of life. Boasting some of the world's most liberal euthanasia laws, Swiss citizens can rest assured that in the direst of circumstances, a safe and legal option is available. Moreover, Switzerland's awe-inspiring scenery illustrates how Mother Nature's touch can nourish happiness. The splendid majesty of the Alps has been a continuous wellspring of Swiss joy, a notion eloquently articulated by Pulitzer Prize laureate biologist and naturalist E.O. Wilson. In his influential work, The Biophilia Hypothesis, Wilson portrays our appreciation for natural beauty as a potent genetic trait. Studies further illuminate nature's restorative impact on our physiology. 
Roger Ulrich, a psychologist, observed in 1984 that patients recovering from gallbladder surgery in rooms offering nature views often experienced faster healing than those without such a view. So it seems, in Switzerland, happiness might just be a mountain view away. Part 3. Touching the Soul of Bhutan A nation where happiness drives policy and spirituality infuses life. Our happiness exploration takes us next to Bhutan, a secluded Himalayan gem nestled between the mammoth neighbors of India and China. Ever fantasized about a monastic lifestyle? Dedicating your days to the serenity of meditation? Bhutan beckons. This unique country marches to its own beat, differing significantly from American and many Western ideologies. While the U.S. and others might prioritize gross national product and economic expansion, Bhutan dances to the rhythm of gross national happiness. Yes, it's an official policy. In contrast to the capitalist mantra of wealth accumulation, Bhutan offers an alternative narrative where monetary preoccupations take a back seat, leaving room for deeper, more fulfilling pursuits. Till 1962, Bhutan's landscape was devoid of paved roads. The nation didn't boast schools, hospitals, or a national currency. Instead of banking on tourism for income as neighboring Nepal did, Bhutan's king embraced happiness as the most precious commodity. His reign ensured the citizens enjoyed free education and health care, shielded from the incessant bombardment of corporate advertising. Bhutan is even the only country that has banned smoking. Yet another happiness ingredient in Bhutan's recipe is its Buddhist spiritual fabric, which breathes sacredness into each rock and tree branch. The World Database of Happiness highlights numerous instances where spirituality boosts happiness, and Bhutan beautifully embodies this notion as reality and fantasy joyously coalesce. The reincarnation belief inherent in Buddhism flourishes here. The author recalls a woman proudly referring to her husband as the Dalai Lama's brother from a past life. Bhutan's inhabitants also possess a unique perspective on life. Their approach discards undue stress over achievements and failures, acknowledging the insignificance of a single life's struggles in the larger cosmic scheme. These attitudes provide a humble reminder that joy doesn't always correlate with economic growth or individual accomplishments, but may dwell within spiritual growth and collective well-being. Part 4. Qatar a paradox of affluence without joy, amidst an austere landscape and culture void. Navigating away from the happiness trail, we find ourselves in Qatar, starkly contrasting the impoverished yet joyful Bhutan, epitomizing that money can't purchase happiness. Prior to the 1980s, oil bonanza, Qatar was an unremarkable desert expanse dotted with a solitary road and sparse habitation. Despite housing some of the world's most abundant oil and natural gas reserves, Qatar remains primarily a desert, a harsh terrain seldom synonymous with happiness. However, unlike most prosperous nations, Qatar transformed its wealth into a welfare wonderland. From water and electricity to healthcare and education, everything is state-provided, tax-free. Every Qatari man is granted a land plot and a monthly allowance of approximately $7,000 upon marriage. Yet amidst these creature comforts, Qataris continually express their discontent, 
The country's affluent populace grumbles about the government not doing enough for their comfort and ease, and any talk of new taxes invites severe resistance. Qatar's wealth appears to be more burdened than boon, similar to lottery winners, who often lament the alienation and lifestyle upheaval accompanying the windfall. Shopping, once a rare pleasure, now feels mundane. The satisfaction achieved from a hard day's work is absent, considering most Qataris are unemployed. Moreover, a significant cultural vacuum prevails. Qatar's National Museum, showcasing a camel's toenail clippings, is a telling representation of the city's cultural engagement. However, the most startling revelation is the Qatari's discomfort with the very concept of happiness. When posed with the question, are you happy? A Qatari man seemed irked and puzzled, indicating a prevalent belief that happiness or misery is God's decree. Beyond human influence, Qatar thus serves as a potent reminder that true happiness flourishes amidst occasional discomfort, for without moments of unease, joy has no benchmark to stand out against. Qatar's tale points out the fallacy that increased affluence equates to increased happiness, underscoring the importance of a balanced life experience. Part 5. Iceland. Cultivating happiness amidst an extraordinary landscape and a vibrant culture. Imagine a place synonymous with happiness. What do you see? Sunlit skies, verdant meadows, or sun-kissed beaches, perhaps? This picturesque imagery of happiness, however, vastly differs from the Icelandic experience. Despite this, Iceland continually features near the top in global happiness charts. Lacking in conventional sun-soaked delight, Iceland compensates with an unparalleled creative pulse. Reykjavik, the capital, teams with bookshops, record stores, art galleries and cafes where poets and painters congregate, colouring the cityscape in rich hues of culture. A local jest suggests erecting a statue in central Reykjavik, honouring the single Icelander who didn't pen a poem. But as days pass, this prophesied day remains elusive. Perhaps it's the extended dark winters that lend themselves to writing, explaining why Iceland's taxi drivers, fishermen and hotel clerks all moonlight as writers. Complementing its thriving arts scene, Iceland's mesmerizing landscape, dotted with geysers, hot springs, glaciers, and volcanic rocks, adds an extra dash of inspiration. Upon witnessing such a terrain, one can understand how Iceland birthed tales of mystical creatures like dwarves and elves. Iceland's cultural fabric not only nurtures the arts, but also endorses naivete and failure. No one here would dissuade you from exploring painting, sculpting, or writing. On the contrary, experimentation is championed. Icelanders readily acknowledge that their country generates a fair share of subpar art, but they contend it's the intention behind creation that truly matters. Failed today, not a problem. Tomorrow brings another fresh canvas for a new beginning. Iceland thus paints a vivid picture of a society where happiness is intertwined with creativity, natural beauty, and an unflinching acceptance of failure, driving home the truth that happiness thrives amidst diversity and adversity alike. Part 6. Moldova. Struggling at the bottom of the global happiness scale. Imagine the world's unhappiest place. A sweltering, repressed location, perhaps somewhere in Africa, you might conjecture. However, 
the World Database of Happiness places a small Eastern European territory, Moldova, nestled between Romania and Ukraine at the unhappy extreme. Several factors contribute to Moldova's unhappiness, with economic hardship towering above others. According to one Moldovan woman, scarcity of money lies at the root of their unhappiness, a reality underscored by the fact that the average annual per capita income barely touches $880. While Moldova isn't the most impoverished nation, Nigeria and Bangladesh, for instance, rank lower. Its dire economic situation feels particularly dismal given its affluent neighbors. The disparity is akin to living in abject poverty in a posh neighborhood. Compounding Moldova's woes is widespread corruption, permeating even educational institutions where professors are routinely bribed by students. Moldovans typically avoid young doctors, doubting the legitimacy of their qualifications given the prevailing culture of bribery. Resource-deficient Moldova doesn't boast significant oil reserves or mineral deposits to trade. Their meager revenue stems from the limited variety of fruits and vegetables they manage to cultivate. Moreover, much like Qatar, Moldova suffers a cultural vacuum, largely attributable to a wavering national identity. Moldova materialized in the aftermath of the Soviet Union's disintegration, before which it didn't exist. This identity crisis is further fueled by Russia asserting Moldovans are fundamentally Romanian, while Romania insists they're unmistakably Russian. With conflicting cultural narratives being thrust upon them, it's no wonder Moldova's dominant cultural trait is entrenched pessimism, steeped in a mix of resignation and envy. This attitude finds stark expression in Moldovans, reveling in their neighbors' misfortunes rather than focusing on their own progress. Moldova, therefore, underscores the profound impact of economic disparity, corruption, resource scarcity, and cultural ambiguity on collective happiness, offering a poignant lesson on the multifaceted nature of happiness. Part 7, Thailand, embracing happiness through a laid-back approach to life. A global journey tracing happiness hotspots would be incomplete without a stop at Thailand, affectionately dubbed the Land of Smiles, much like the Inuit's multitude of terms for snow. Thais have a rich lexicon to depict different shades of smiles, from Yimchun Chom, expressing admiration, Yimthak Than, signifying begrudging agreement, to Yimsao, reflecting sadness. Each smile possesses a unique tale. What makes the Thais masters of the smile? Their secret lies in a simple yet profound approach. Stop obsessing over happiness. The frequently heard Thai phrases, don't think too much and don't be so serious, underline their belief that over-analysis and excessive seriousness obstruct the path to contentment. In this culture, ignorance is indeed bliss, where less thinking and questioning spawn more joy than trouble. This Thai notion isn't isolated. It finds resonance in a study conducted by psychologists Tim Wilson and Jonathan Schooler. Participants were asked to listen to classical music, either focusing on their happiness levels or fostering a clear mind. Results overwhelmingly indicated that those unburdened by self-analysis were markedly happier. Coupled with their aversion to overthinking, Thais extend their casual attitude to all aspects of life, lending a laid-back ambiance to their environment. 
Boardrooms teem with laughter and jest. Routine chores like lawn mowing are treated as enjoyable pastimes, and happiness pervades their products, illustrated by happy toilets, happy pubs, and a meal called double happiness. At the heart of Thai culture lies a stoic acceptance of fate, both good and bad. If the current circumstances are unfavorable, the prospect of a better next lifetime offers comfort. Emblematic of the Thai ethos could be the phrase, when nothing matters, life is easy, painting a vivid picture of a culture that's found happiness in maintaining a light-hearted, relaxed approach to life. Part 8. Britain's Unique View on Happiness, When It's Not the Top Priority. Think about a bout of infectious laughter. But can the same be said about happiness? Could a joyful individual radiate their glee, transforming a gloomy space into a happy haven? In an intriguing experiment, TV producers in England decided to test this theory in Slough, a town on London's fringes with a notorious reputation for dreariness. In 2005, BBC aired a reality TV series, Make Slough Happy, grounded in the premise that if Slough, the epitome of bleakness, could attain happiness, so could anywhere else. The show documented six happiness experts offering a 12-week happiness training course to 50 volunteers. The aim was to enable these volunteers to become catalysts of positivity in their own corners of Slough. The experiment endeavored to ascertain whether their newly acquired happiness could permeate through the community, thereby transforming the town. Activities involved hand-holding, tree-hugging, practicing yoga and tai chi, impromptu supermarket aisle dances, and bursts of contagious laughter. Upon the experiment's conclusion, the volunteers proclaimed a 33% surge in Slough's happiness. However, the accuracy and longevity of these findings remain debatable. Moreover, it's essential to acknowledge the unique British stance on happiness. Unlike Americans who regard happiness pursuit as integral to their national ethos, Britons perceive life as a challenge that demands resilience and stoicism. Imagine being aboard a burning plane. Who would you prefer as your pilot? An upbeat novice fresh out of flight school or a seasoned, albeit grumpy, aviator? In essence, Britons don't necessarily consider happiness a prerequisite for a meaningful life, adding an intriguing dimension to the global discourse on happiness. Part 9. India. Commercialized spirituality and an ancient philosophy of happiness. India, renowned for its spiritual gurus, miraculous tales, and spiritual vibrancy, magnetically draws Western tourists yearning for happiness beyond the familiarity of their own environments. The author's journey to India led him to a discourse by the revered guru Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, who promises eternal bliss to his followers. But the author found Shankar's messages somewhat insubstantial. Shankar's wisdom felt akin to the popcorn many of his listeners were munching on. Flavorful, easy to consume, but lacking in substantial nourishment. For instance, his evasive response to a query about life after death was brimming with whimsy but devoid of meaningful insight. In contemporary India, prominent gurus often enjoy a celebrity-like status, enthralling audiences more like entertainers than spiritual guides, even garnering corporate sponsorships. Although Shankar's philosophy might lack depth, 
it radiates a simple, positive message. Prioritize love over the pursuit of happiness. This notion finds acceptance in the Indian ethos, primarily rooted in Hinduism, which perceives the relentless pursuit of happiness or any such striving as self-defeating. Hindu philosophy regards unhappiness as a consequence of powerful cosmic forces such as karma and destiny, rendering attempts to combat it akin to challenging the divine will. Consequently, the search for quantifiable happiness, as undertaken by the author and other researchers, often appears futile to many Indians, exemplifying human folliness in their perspective. Part 10 USA The Paradox of Increasing Wealth and decreasing happiness. The United States often leads the charts when it comes to economic prowess and consumer spending, but money isn't synonymous with happiness, and many researchers place the USA considerably lower on the happiness scale. Adrian White, a researcher at the University of Leicester, is one such scholar. He places the US 23rd on the global happiness list, trailing less prosperous countries like Costa Rica, Malta, and Malaysia. For Americans, happiness levels have failed to keep pace with their swelling wealth. Though the country's wealth has tripled since 1950, happiness hasn't mirrored this growth. It's been on a consistent downward trend. Psychologist David Myers points to several alarming trends indicating an all-time low in American happiness. Mental health issues like depression and anxiety are on the rise. Divorce rates have doubled. Violent crime rates have quadrupled and teen suicide rates have tripled. One plausible explanation might be expectations. Greater wealth often breeds heightened happiness expectations, but with escalating affluence, reaching these expectations becomes increasingly difficult. The pursuit of luxury goods rather than boosting emotional happiness often engenders confusion and disillusionment. Americans also devote more time to work, often at the expense of time with family and friends factors deemed crucial for happiness by the World Database of Health. Long commutes to work, a frequent American phenomenon, also play a part. The American nation, historically characterized by restlessness, is never quite content with what it has, forever chasing more. Yet, when nothing seems adequate, happiness remains elusive. Nevertheless, the indomitable American optimism prevails. Despite present unhappiness, two-thirds of Americans firmly believe a happier future awaits them. Final Summary Crucial Insights from this book The global landscape is a mix of varying degrees of happiness, from those brimming with joy to those steeped in unhappiness. Interestingly, what drives happiness can often be unexpected. Some cultures find joy in not fixating on happiness while others endeavor vigorously to instill happiness in their citizens, often with disappointing results. While there isn't a one-size-fits-all formula for a joyous nation, a recurring theme emerges. Happiness isn't a commodity to be purchased. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot.
Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then, happy reading and happy listening.